When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, you might be able to guess from that voice, we have special guest host Peter Post, and we take your questions on baby name haters, wedding shower gifts for strained relations, expensive hairdressers, and using your neighbor's trash can. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on a 1934 article written by Emily Post herself on what exactly is best society and etiquette. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, your bonus question of the week is on passing etiquette at the table. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Peter Post. Yeah, surprise, surprise. I have my my dad as my co-host today while Dan is away. Thank you so much for stepping in last minute, Dad. <laughs> Happy to do it. I'm glad I was I was back from my trip to Italy. I was is, gonna say, you know, what's new is so, you, you're back on on American soil. <laughs> yep. So so my time frame is still a little bit off. Are but you? <laughs> other than that, everything is great. And um, yeah, great trip. Had a ball. So tell me, I mean, you and Mum go over there for about a month plus per year and you stay with the same woman each time that you go at Poder Casace is that Podera Casace Podera Casace little ugly house right that's right. what it means and um you guys have spent enough time doing this now what are some of the kind of cultural differences the little etiquettes or tips that you would you would have for people traveling so much is is universal in terms of etiquette tips about traveling. Yeah. But the most important thing I think people can do is to be respectful of somebody else's culture and, and, and country. And one of the ways to do that, especially where it's a language other than English, is learn some phrases that you can use when you're there. People respond so well, even for the most basic of things that you try. You know, if, if you say ciao, you know, <laughs> instead of hi, that alone in Italy is, is a great thing to be able to do. But some of the basic things, you know, could you tell me where the bathroom is? Dove, dove il toilet. Il you know, even or toilet like would that. work. Okay, but dove <laughs> Gabinetti, right? Right. And, and that kind of a thing really makes a difference. People will then make that much more effort. On your behalf. And what I just find in traveling is when I walk into a place with a smile on my face and I'm interested and I don't yell and scream or get nasty or angry. <laughs> well, yeah, generally don't when do you those walk things, into a place right? and you don't but, yell and scream, people are going to respond people, favorably. But even, even when people maybe don't treat you 
terrifically, you don't respond in kind. Continue to maintain that sort of pleasant atmosphere about yourself. And that that goes such a long ways. Specific things that you learn, you know, in, in different countries, be careful of different things. One of the things that we got into because Jasper, my oh, okay. grandson, was there yeah. and <laughs> people were talking about different hand signals, okay? okay. And a hand signal in Italy that might be um, holding up a, a hand a certain way or fingers a certain way here in the United States would be, you know, really positive there. might be really negative. negative. Um, so, and he had learned baby yeah. sign language. Yeah. So he, he so did, you just yeah. had to be a little bit careful about sign. So one Wait, of the things. Come on. People aren't going to look at a two-year-old little boy and think he's actually insulting them, right? No, not the two-year-old, but the parents and talking about it or showing him stuff, being careful about that. And one of the ones that he loved is is when you say something is really good over there, you can put your thumb on your cheek and And and, twist it. And, you know, here in the United States, somebody look at you and go, what's wrong with you? But over there, it's saying, man, that was really good. Oh, I like it. I like it. That's a great example. Well, I was... Very sad to not be able to get out on this trip with you, but I'm very excited to be going on the October trip with you. Yeah. That'll be really, really fun, and I'll have to uh, I'll have to get used to doing my thumb twist on my cheek because every time I'm there, everything we have is so good. Well, that's the problem. I might be doing the thumb twist on every like bite, all, but other than all that. All the time. All the time. Oh, my goodness. Well, I am so grateful that you were able to come today and to do this podcast with me. It would be a much quieter show <laughs> if it was just me on my own. So thank you for being here. And do you want to help me answer some questions? Absolutely. Let's get to it. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show and sustaining members we know you are out there remember to write in with your sustaining member questions and put sustaining members somewhere in your message so that we answer your question over in the bonus content section of the sustaining member website there are a ton of questions there that you can explore and we are so excited to have you participate in that space So send them in, and let's get to some new questions today. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day... We here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, Baby Name Haters. Dad, do you want to read this one to us? Be glad to. Lizzie and Dan, I have a question regarding rude responses to baby name choices. With my oldest, I mistakenly told my family two names I was deciding between. They picked their favorite and started telling everyone that was her name and basically made the decision for me even though I was uncertain. With my second child, I picked a fairly normal name, Mary Alice, and got mostly positive responses. However, one grandmother in particular, who is extremely negative about everything, complained and still complains about it two years later. Her initial response was to start telling me what names she liked that I should consider, which I just brushed off. And then she refused to call her by her appropriate name, instead of Mary Alice, calling her Mary, which we do not like on its own. I'm pregnant with our third girl, and this time I've picked a very off-the-wall name that I absolutely love. I anticipate a mostly negative response from a large portion of my family, but I know most will get over it eventually. However, this one grandmother will probably be extremely frustrating, and quite frankly, I've lost my patience over my children's names being constantly attacked. What is a succinct response I can give all family members to let them know I don't appreciate their negative comments and to keep them to themselves? And what can I do if said grandmother decides to make it her life mission to undermine this name choice as well? We do plan to wait until the baby is born to announce the name in order to minimize most people's negative reactions. However, this one person won't care either way. Thank you, Anonymous. Oh my goodness. This is this is a lot of stress on something very personal and the continued attacks make it feel worse each Absolutely. time. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more, especially the continued attacks and frankly it's probably time to do something about it. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad I'm glad to hear from just a different generational perspective that and like if you guys didn't like Jasper's name and you were making comments, do you think you think Anna would be in good stead to tell you about it? Yeah. 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 Eventually, yes, I think you are. Uh, I think you have to make a choice. That's the key here mm-hmm. in doing that. However you respond, you make the choice and recognize the potential for what the outcome of that choice might be. That's and true. then and then make your choice. So for me, I think that I'm taking a couple things away from what Anonymous is saying. Number one, I'm hearing that um, that grandma is a negative person to begin with. And I think in some ways we have to accept people as they are and just say, okay, 
this person has this personality. I'm not going to change them. So I need to work on changing my own perspective on the situation. And either coming up with some kind of language that you're going to say every single time grandma's rude about it or choosing to completely ignore it. Um, are, are th- Those are kind of the only two options I'm coming up with. But I think that we have to – the the third option is to distance ourselves from grandma. And I think – it's not the option that we want to be suggesting to you, but it really helps when you are uh, in a tough spot, when something is very emotional, to be thinking of all the avenues that you have at your access. Because it can it can just feel freeing to say, you know what, I do have a choice to not engage here. I can do that if I want to. I'd rather see you be able to get to a place where you can interact with grandma and you feel confident and secure. So my first thought is that you could have a heart-to-heart about names in general with grandma, right? Here's where you have to come at it with heart, though, because a heart-to-heart isn't, you know, a heart to a stone wall or a stone wall to a heart. It's a heart-to-heart. I might suggest saying something like, Grandma, I was hoping we could talk. There's been something going on between us that hurts my heart a bit, and I was hoping we could try to work it out. I love you so much. I love spending time as a family together. But when you criticize the children's names, when you say the names like this, you know, fill in the blank here, I feel hurt. The children get confused. It feels like an, an, an issue that isn't going to end. I'd really love to hear you support the names I've chosen for my girls. This is not an easy conversation, and I don't expect actually grandma to take it that well. But I do think it gives you at least a, a perspective of coming at it that's, I care about this, and, and my feelings are being hurt here. And as a person who needs to stand up for myself, that's that's what I'm doing. It's important for grandma to realize or possibly at least to hear and see how her actions are affecting others. And I think that's what that response that you just gave allows to have happen, has the potential to have that happen. Mm-hmm. May not, but at least it gives it that potential to turn the table for her to see how her actions are affecting other people, which she may, she may have been oblivious to prior to that. Totally. I think a second avenue would be clear but be firm. Grandma, I understand you don't like the name and you've made your opinion clear. Now I would love for you to move forward and embrace the names we've given our daughters. It's respectful to them and respectful to us. Yep. And that's that's a little bit more hard hitting. Right. When that's you a little say less to heart somebody, to heart. <laughs> so when you say to somebody, you're not being respectful to me, that's that's a challenge. It's a you. And, it's an and attack. I think you're right. It isn't respectful. Completely agree. Yeah. But when you say that to mm-hmm. another person, um, they may get their dander up, as they say. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> not, as, not as effective as you hope. But it's, uh, you know, it is an option. Uh, just be aware that it may not be received as well as it was intended. Number three is the ultimatum. And this is the place I would love to not see you have to go. But I, we like to leave room for all options and all, all types of family dynamics. And you may say, Grandma, if you cannot be nice about our daughter's names, we will have to stop spending time together. It's not fair to the kids and it's not fair to us. Yeah. And, and the point here really is, is how willing are you to put your relationship and that opportunity to be, have grandmother be part of your life? On the line. Right. And, and ask yourself that before you do it. And if you say, I'm willing to put it on the line and be there, then that may well be the only choice you have to really bring closure to the situation and hope that she responds a little more positively than you think she might. 
There are three other points that I want to bring up around this, and one is when anonymous, you told the story of your first child and how your family latched on to one name. I wish I I could have been there for you in that moment to encourage you to choose the name that's right for you. Um, family can latch on to whatever they want to. We we've latched on to all kinds of names in our family. If people have, as 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 folks have had babies and chosen names and discussed them ahead of time, but the parents in the end make that decision, and even later in life, the child will make its own, you know his or her own decision about what they'll want to be called. And so that's an important thing to remember too. But I wish we could go back in time and give you the courage to stand up for the name that you feel most solid about, and to. Parents who are out there who might be in anonymous's position, I really want to give you that em- empowerment and encourage you in that direction. Sorry, I don't really give you that empowerment. You you bring it for yourself, but to really encourage you in that direction because of how it feels to be overrided and how it feels to have someone else make this decision for you, and you shouldn't be in that position. This is very personal, um, very very personal thing. The second thing is that there is a fourth option that you can always just grin and bear it. Talk with your children. About about why you're making the choice to not correct grandma every single time or to just deal with grandma's nasty comments. You can explain that to them and let them know that that you love them and their name and and all of these things and that this is just something we tolerate because grandma's either the head of the family or senior or has a hard time remembering this, whatever it might be, or that she just has an attitude that goes this way, uh, whatever it might be that you feel comfortable saying. But you do have that as a fourth option. And I also wanted to put out there and end this question because it it, does, it is a frustrating question, but I want to put out the super sappy and say to, you know, really leave room for grandma to surprise you. Who knows if this third off the wall name, which Anonymous did actually let us know. And we, I, we, we read this question and realized that we read the name aloud in the question, totally blowing up the entire spot. And so we, we reread the question. But the name that you've chosen, Anonymous, is a beautiful name. It has history. And I think that you might allow the space for grandma to surprise you. Maybe this was the name that she always loved. You just never know. And um, coming at some Something where you're always leaving room for someone to surprise you, um, but you're not crushed if they disappoint you. Uh, it can just put you in such a happier, more positive space moving moving through this situation. And I just reiterate, it's your choice. It's not grandma's choice. It's your choice. So be very confident and happy in the word or the name that you choose for your child and then move forward with it. Newborn American Babies. Newborn citizens of these United States, free and with rights guaranteed by the Constitution. Our next question is titled, Required Gift? Dear Awesome Etiquette, I received an invitation to a wedding shower in the mail. I have met the bride briefly on one previous occasion. For several reasons, both logistically and personally, I do not plan to attend. I know that for a wedding invitation, even if we decline to attend, we will send a gift. However, I cannot remember if there is a similar requirement for a wedding shower. We are not close to the couple getting married, and while the groom is a relative of my husband, our relationship with some members of that side of the family is estranged. To borrow a phrase you use often, the situation is fraught. We do not have any problems with this particular relative getting married, 
but he has also never made any effort to maintain a relationship with us himself. During his childhood, before the family reached this level of tension, we sent gifts for birthdays and Christmases, and never once received a thank you in any form. I admit that on a personal level, my attitude may be colored by many, many layers of bias. I want to do what is right, but I do not wish to do anything beyond what is politely required. I very well may send a gift to maintain peace, but I am curious. Do I send a gift to the shower if I don't attend? Thank you, as always, for your thoughtful input. Regards, required gift? Question mark. Let's quiz Dad. <laughs> to answer the basic question, yes, you do not have to send a gift to the shower unless you attend the shower. Because you've been invited to the wedding, yes, even if you don't attend, a gift in that case would be part of your response. I agree. I think that if you're not really connected to these folks, if you don't plan on going to the wedding, then decline the shower invitation. You're not obligated to send a gift to it. I might send a card, just wishing them well. I think that's an easy thing to do.、Um, and then for the for the wedding, decline the invitation. And again, you can send.、Um, I, I, given the estrangement and the the fraught situation, I might just send a card. But I think you can always send that small gift just to uphold that polite space of etiquette. Yeah,、um, and that that keeps you from being in the wrong somehow. Now. And、exactly. I think that's important. Even if they don't send thank you notes, that's their problem. Right. You know, etiquette's this funny thing. It's not like if somebody doesn't do something, then I'm not going to do it either. We do things because these are the things that we do in our interactions with people, and they come from us, regardless of what other people do. And so, yes, send the gift. It can be a small gift. You, you know, a concept of a commemorative gift about the wedding. Great.、Right. But do send a gift about the wedding, in with with your regrets. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Required gift. We hope that answers your question, and we hope that you get many more wedding invitations to weddings you really want to go to. Learning to take care of family obligations in early years is easy. After all, it's only a matter of getting into a pattern of good living habits. Once they become habits, you needn't worry about them. Take care of your obligations now. Expensive hairdresser is our third question of the day. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thanks so much once again for your wonderful show. I love it when people write that. <laughs> Me too. It's like you know, proof, Dad. I'm doing a good job. I'm、right. doing a good job. Okay, so. I have a question. My hairdresser has been my hairdresser for a few years. She is absolutely wonderful. When I started to see her, she was junior and her costs were reasonable. She is now at an extremely high-end salon and quite senior. The last time I got my hair done with her, I was absolutely shocked by how much my hair costs. I don't even want the number to be read on air. It was that pricey. My hairdresser has an associate who works under her, who I know is a junior hairstylist. I'm wondering if there is an appropriate way to ask my hairdresser for a referral to another less expensive stylist still in her salon, or am I hooped and have to change salons? How do I word that awkward money question? Thanks so much for any advice you can give me. 
I this is I I love this question because this is I I like the uh, emphasis on wanting to stay within the salon and still support this business, but how do you delicately remove yourself from someone who's priced themselves out of your budget? And I think you say exactly that pretty much, Casey. I've loved coming to you for years now, but unfortunately, you've graduated above my budget level. Do you have a junior stylist here at the salon you could refer me to? That would be so wonderful. Perfect script. Just great. Done. Yes. Done. Yes. (laughs) You didn't fail on passing the business on to me, right? Right. (laughs) This is one of those things, though. It can feel awkward to say such a thing. And I do think putting a lot of positive energy into it. Don't you hear mom in this answer 100%? That kind of just a nice, a, a light voice, a happiness about the fact that this person is too expensive for you now, I think lets them know that you're really happy for them that they've gotten to this level, but that you also have to respect your own budget. So I wouldn't go big serious with it. I wouldn't be monotoned with it. I would really try to put that positive fun spin on it. We always have trouble talking to people about money, mm-hmm. about how much they cost if it's too much. And I just am going to be able to use your services. And, you know, the person on the other end is in a service business. And they they have faced this more than once. You are not the first person coming to them like this. Good point. And, and so they're totally – you're doing it in this sort of respectful way is great. And they will then – do the appropriate thing and pass you on to that less that more junior hairstylist. Um, they're they're prepared for it. They know this. It's not it the first time. Yeah, no, it definitely definitely happens. Anonymous, we hope this helps, and we hope that you love your next stylist. At his salon in San Mateo, a noted hairstylist feathers his nest with original ideas, like putting feathers on my lady's hairdo and calling it the parakeet. Our next question is titled Trash Can Etiquette, and I think we're going to get a lot of feedback about this one. Hi, Awesome Etiquette team. Love the podcast. You keep me company on long Seattle commutes and always provide great conversational material for my husband and me when we're in the car together. My question is around trash can etiquette. This sparked some debate at work recently, and I'm curious to know your take. The question here is this. Is it rude to put your trash in someone else's trash can? Do the rules vary based on how much trash, the size of the trash can, the location, or type? Think office trash can by my desk versus the big one at my house that we take out weekly. What about if you're out walking your dog and you need to dispose of his waste? Is it rude to put the obviously bagged material in the nearest trash can without trespassing, of course? Or should you carry it all the way home? What about recycling? If my recycling bin is stuffed to the max this week and I have some more boxes that I need to recycle, is it rude to put them in my neighbor's bin once they've put it out on the street for collection? I obviously wouldn't go into anyone's yard to put trash in their cans. What about the big trash dumpsters outside of grocery stores and the like? Can I empty the trash from inside my car, like if I have an empty soda can or a food wrapper, into one of those? Thanks for your insight. I'd love to know what you think. Trying not to be trashy, Jessica. This is a great question. Isn't it? Yeah. 
It really is. Um, and, and I see myself in a number of those questions. Right. Um, which is, <laughs> which is really interesting. You know, the, the, the general question she asks, is it rude to put your trash in someone else's trash can? Generally, yes. Really? Cause yeah. I say generally no. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you just take and do it, that's different than saying, do you mind if I use this? Oh, and, yes, and you of make course. You, 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 in other words, as soon as you've done that, you've changed the dynamic, okay? Right. But to just kind of like surreptitiously start tossing stuff into somebody else's trash can or take a whole bunch of your stuff because yours is some not Full right or there, something like that you or not dump right it there. In, no, yeah. not, without, not without that first asking a person. Okay, and so, so we're a bit more on the same page yeah. than I first thought. Generally, okay. yes, is my answer, though, okay. because just to put it into someone else's can, no, I don't I, no. Do not do that without first taking the step of asking the person. And I would definitely say this is true. See, I'm picturing myself, because I work at home alone, <laughs> I'm picturing myself more on the dog walk or something like that, and wanting, and also knowing <clears throat> I live by a certain school and uh, I get a lot of trash on my lawn from from walkers by uh, dump it, you know, just leaving their garbage on my lawn, and it really fresh. I would so much rather they walk up to the can, even if it's not out, and use my trash can or use my recycling bin. But when we're thinking about things like at the desk, especially if you have to get under someone's desk, you definitely want to be asking if you can use that receptacle first. So yeah, I think number one is you do want when there is somebody present. Uh, you do want to ask. I think it totally depends on the garbage you're throwing out, too. I'm not going to throw my half-eaten tuna sandwich out under, you know, Susan's desk at the Emily Post Institute, where we only pop in once a week, and it's going to stink up the joint, mold, rot, and cause mice and ants and all kinds of things for poor Susan. Right. Like, well, and you're not yeah. going to throw that one into your can either and no. let it rot and stink no, and No, I'm going to take it to the kitchen can <laughs> that gets, you know, emptied out every day, right. that kind of a thing. So this this really is so incredibly dependent on what's being thrown out and where you are. And I agree with Jessica that I'm probably not going to feel as comfortable walking all the way into someone's yard or looking around the back oh, of no, their no, no, house no. for anything. Um, at the most, if a, if, a tra- if, if you're really in a pickle um, and the trash can is visible on the front of the property, I might consider that. But even walking up Walking up someone's driveway, even if it's just a 20-foot, you know, kind of walk up, I think you really, you are. You're encroaching on their property. You're making them possibly feel unsafe. Um, I think that's there's a lot going on in that space of just that 20 to 30 feet of the walk up the driveway. I have always appreciated it when someone sees me picking up dog poop and they say, hey, if you want to throw that out in my can, you can. Um, That's always just nice to be, you know, if they're working in their yard or if they're there and you're able to ask them, do you mind if I throw this out in your trash can? A lot of people, though, when it comes to that dog waste... They really don't want you putting your dog waste into their trash can. And it seems kind of funny because the trash is, it's going to be smelly. It's going to be gross most often. They might have their litter box, you know, uh, fillings in there. And so there's all kinds of things that makes it okay for them, but not okay for a stranger to be doing it. Yeah, I I fully agree. Um, the, the dog waste in particular 
um, you take it home. Yeah. You don't put it in somebody else's unless they say to you, oh, hey, listen, toss that in mind if you don't mind. Even if it's – if you're walking along the street and there are trash cans sitting out Lined waiting up. to be dumped, you don't take your dog waste and throw it into somebody else's can. Especially if the can has recently been emptied. Yeah. That just means oh, that, that now you're going to have dog waste in the can for the next week until the next pickup happens. And yep. that's not – So fun. so I, I definitely would not do it, do that uh, thing. Um, the question of the, the the large dumpsters by grocery stores, well, to throw uh, an empty can or a food wrapper out, um, it's probably going to be easier as you're walking into the store or near the store. Almost most stores and most malls, most places yeah. have a trash can right outside. You can take your few pieces and toss those right in there. Right. Um, it doesn't – the big dumpster thing uh, is usually in the back someplace. You don't need to scurry around to there to do it. Well, and remember too that most of those dumpsters have cameras on them and you are not allowed to use them. I know you know, even at, at the Emily Post Institute in that building that's a shared dumpster for the building, no one else is allowed to go up and be dumping their garbage into that dumpster. And so these are things that you want to be aware of. Some of them do have cameras on them. So you want to be careful of that. She, she had the question of the Recycling. My recycling bin's full. Can I put it into somebody else's? No, not without asking. Not without first. asking. But uh, you know, yeah. the minute that you ask, most neighbors, you know, uh, my, the neighbors that I have at our place in Florida, no problem. You got too much, put it, put it. You know, use Feel mine. Free. Feel, Feel free. Feel free. Yeah. But but the, the ask becomes important. No matter how good a friend that neighbor is, the ask is still a requirement before you just simply take advantage of their bin. <laughs> Absolutely. I offered to my neighbor because apparently my neighbor um, – so, you know, if your bin is full, uh, often I'll use whatever shipping box I've received that's recyclable and put whatever overflow is in it into that. And sure enough, each week the recycle guys just take it all away. They just take it all away. And sometimes if there have been a lot of packages or if I – you know, I remember when I was buying furniture for the house and stuff, there was a lot of cardboard. And I've never had a problem with the, thank goodness, the recycling company removing it. But my neighbor has been told multiple times, no, 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 only what fits in the bin, only what fits in the bin. I'm not sure why I'm getting there. We're getting different messages from the same company. But what I said to him was, well, anytime you have extra, feel free to just put it out by my spot because clearly they take all of mine. No problem. And so that to me is like a, you know, offer. And I think when you're talking with your neighbors, making those offers, letting them know what's okay, what's not okay is is really helpful so that people do understand what to do when there isn't someone around to ask. And that's what I would love to close this question with. Sure. If there's no one around to ask, it's better to err on the side of not. Yeah. Essentially, don't assume, ask. It's worthwhile to know many ways to settle disputes. For your questions, please send us updates, comments, and feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or reach out via Twitter. We are at emilypostinst or on Facebook where we are both Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know... We have your permission to put your comment or question on the show. 
It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And our first piece of feedback comes in regards to a question about reading baby shower cards and how to read the personal messages, whether or not you need to read them all out loud, whether or not they get passed around. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I wanted to comment on the past discussion of reading or passing around cards when you are being given presents. Yesterday, I was being thrown a lovely baby shower to celebrate my pregnancy with my second child. I do not need much, so the gifts were more a celebration of life than fulfilling a need. The first present I unwrapped had a long card I could see would be emotional and take me a while to read. So I decided to use the cards to determine who gave the gifts and then read them later. I did not want to pass them around no matter how cute or poignant they were. I did not regret the decision. After unwrapping many presents, I got to a darling little card with a small amount of money taped into the card. My friend who gave the card does not have much money right now and probably could hardly afford the amount she gave, but I knew it was less than what everyone else had given, even if their gifts were on sale at the time of purchase. I was so happy that I had not set up the precedent of letting people see or hear the cards because I did not want her to be embarrassed in any way. My friends would not have judged her, but I know she could have judged herself. Truthfully, I was just happy to have her at the shower celebrating my daughter. Thank you so much for the wonderful podcast. I love how your advice can help me have a framework for how to treat others well with kindness, truthfulness, and respect. Sincerely, Mama of Two. I love that. It's it can be really awkward when you don't know what's going to be in these cards, whether it's a sentimental message or whether it's just a small monetary amount, or also whether it's a large monetary amount. That can be equally uncomfortable to have people see or experience. And when you do open a card that has either a gift card or cash or check in it, you can always say, "Oh, thank you so much. I love contributions like this," and leave it at that. You don't have to say what the actual amount was. No, you. Don't and you know in this kind of a situation, often cards do get passed around. It happens, and so if you open up that card and you see that small amount of money in it, one of the things you can do is simply to quietly, as you open it up, and you see, is to take the money, pull it off, and put it away, and let the card go around without the money on it, and that way the the issue of making that person feel uncomfortable or any kind of difficulty. Is removed, or you can simply close the card and put it down and not pass it. I was going to say this is another option. Just because you start passing cards doesn't mean you have to keep passing. You might, if you get to the one that has the long note in it, you can say, "I'm going to save this one to read myself," <laughs> and, and just be cute about it, be sweet about it. No one's going to judge you for that. Not at all. So, and 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 the nice thing to do in that case would be to recognize, oh, this could be a, this could be difficult for that person. I'm not going to put them into a difficult position. I'm just going to hold it back. Absolutely. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please, please, please keep them coming. You can send us your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we are going to talk about an article that my dad was given. You were given this article by a friend. We get all these wonderful little things as people open up walls in their homes and find scrapbooks and, and books uh, as, you know, at estate sales and things like that. And this article comes from the New York Herald Tribune. 
and it is dated Sunday, August 19th, 1934, and it is uh, an article by Emily Post. So she was writing an article for for the Herald Tribune, um, and it's titled, Good Taste Today, Though Money May Bring Some Person's Prominence, Cultivation is the mark of best society. It is not confined to one place or group, but is a worldwide brotherhood whose members are men and women of cultivation and perfect manner, as well as manners. The whole article is written from the perspective of defining this idea of best society, and Enley ends up giving this powerful definition of etiquette that stands really the test of time at the end. It's terrific. It's one of the best succinct definitions of etiquette I've seen. Um, so I really enjoyed this article when I saw it. And I said, I got to get this to Lizzie right away. <laughs> Thank you got to see this because this is a really good description of what etiquette is all about. For me, what really stood out for this article is something that you all have heard me talk about on this show, which is my distaste for how the press has a tendency to talk about etiquette as if it is only for the elite. And the longer that the media and the press continue to further that line as their headline to get you to read an article, I think the the worse off we are. As many of you know, we believe that etiquette is based on consideration, respect, and honesty. And when we are constantly throwing out lines and headlines that say, etiquette is dead, civility is dead, it does us no good. It doesn't make anybody feel good. And the reality is it's very much alive. It has been. And even Emily was battling headlines like this in her day. So the article is quite long. We're not going to read the entire thing, but we did want to give you a sense. And please bear in mind, too, that this language is coming from 1934. So it does sound a little different to us. (laughs) I must say, we have to be very gentle with this because this, this paper is about to disintegrate on us. This is the original piece itself. Emily begins. In answer to readers who time and again have asked me to define the term best society, which is necessarily used as a standard by which etiquette in all its aspects of taste is measured. It is perhaps important that I revise a description that I wrote a number of years ago and substitute one that is up to date. So here we immediately have Emily showing that this changes over time, how we talk and think changes over time. It's beautiful. There was a time when the term best society was not ambiguous, a time when admission to its membership depended very little upon what a man might have, but depended very much indeed upon what manner of man he might be. The fundamental exaction for his admission was that under every circumstance in life, he might be counted on to behave according to the code of a gentleman— which in turn required that he be a person of instinctive courtesy and of fine and unerring perception of ethical as well as aesthetic taste. In the present day, bear in mind that's 1934, society may mean much or nothing. Every human being, unless dwelling alone in a cave, is a member of society of one sort or another. And therefore, it is well to define what is to be understood by the term best society, and why its authority is recognized. Best society abroad is still the oldest aristocracy, composed not so much of persons of a title, which may be new, as of those families 
and communities which have, for the longest period of time, known highest cultivation. Our own best society is represented by social groups which have had, since this is America, widest rather than longest association with old world cultivation. Cultivation is always the basic attribute of best society, much as evidence would seem to point to an aristocracy based solely upon wealth. To the undiscerning element of the general public, a long purse is synonymous with high position, a theory dear to the heart of a section of the press and eagerly fostered in the often preposterous social functions of the screen drama. So here I love this. She's describing that etiquette is, or that that cultivation doesn't come from having a lot of money being long in the purse. And she's also saying that as much as the press and, of course, screen drama, our entertainment industry would like us to think so. And I think we can see that today as well, that we often are told that that etiquette and manners are, are only for the elite. And that's really fun to portray in the world of drama, but it doesn't actually reflect reality. It is true that best society has been, until very recent times, comparatively rich. It is true that the hostess of great wealth who prodigally entertains will shine, at least to the readers of the press, more brilliantly than her less affluent sister. Yet the latter, through her quality of birth, her poise, her inimitable distinction, is often the jewel of deeper water in the social crown of her time. I love that. I just love that. I mean, Emily is literally saying you don't need money just because it will let you serve the best meats or, you know, put on the best spread or use the best china. It does not matter. It is the it is the quality of the person that is really going to matter and let you shine. And I mean, just what wonderfully descriptive language, the jewel of deeper water <laughs> in the social crown of her time. It's, it's wonderful. And she's, she's nailing it because she's saying that it isn't about wealth and that the wealthy don't automatically have an entry to best society. Absolutely. And that's a – you think about that from 10 or 15 years earlier and it's flipping the whole thing. Absolutely. And it's not to say that the wealthy can't be of best society and have genuine hearts, but it's to really encourage the idea that it is not the money that makes the man. The most advertised commodity is not always intrinsically the best, but is sometimes merely the product of a company that has spent a great deal of money on unceasing advertising. In the same way money brings certain people before the public, sometimes they are persons of quality. But quite often, the so-called society leaders featured in the public press do not belong to good society at all, in spite of their many published photographs and the energy of their press agents. I love that here is Emily literally talking about press agents. And, you know, we talk, oh, their PR person wrote that piece well. <laughs> yep. And she's saying just because your picture's in the newspaper in the society section all the time doesn't mean that you are really a part of what she thinks of as best society. Or possibly they do belong to smart society, but if too much advertised, instead of being the queens they seem, 
they might more accurately be classified as popular entertainers whose talents have replaced those of the court jesters of yesterday. Emily is getting snarky. I wonder. I, you gotta wonder. Who is she putting in her place right now? Like, what's She's got it? someone in mind. <laughs> I just keep thinking this. Where is where is this coming from? What happened the week before Who that got her, her really <laughs> up on this soapbox? <laughs> New York, more than any city in the world, unless it be Paris, loves to be amused, thrilled, and surprised all at the same time, and will accept with outstretched hand anyone who can perform this astounding feat. Do not underestimate the ability that can achieve it. An arrestingly different personality, inexhaustible originality, a talent for keeping people amused that amounts to genius are the first requirements. She's saying you should be an interesting person. How much pouring out of gold may be exacted is in inverse ratio to the requirements already listed. Puritan America, on the other hand, demanding, as a ticket of admission to her best society, the qualifications of birth, manners, and cultivation clasps her hands tight across her slim, trim waist and announces severely that New York best is, in her opinion, very bad indeed. But this is because Puritan America, as well as the general public, mistakes the burlesque of the carnival for life that is real. As a matter of fact, best society is not confined to any one place or group, but might better be described as an unlimited brotherhood which spreads over the entire surface of the globe, the members of which are invariably people of cultivation and worldly knowledge, who have not only perfected manners, but a perfect manner. This, to me, gets right to the core, because she's talking about the difference between having a perfect manner and having, using manners. And manner and manners are two different things, and in the next sentences, she's going to describe the difference between the two. It's wonderful. Manners are made up of trivialities of deportment, which can be easily learned if one does not happen to know them. Manner is personality, the outward manifestation of one's innate character and attitude toward life. A gentleman, for instance, will never be ostentatious or overbearing any more than he will be servile, because these attributes never animate the impulse of a well-bred person. A woman whose manners suggest the smug precision of pseudo-elegance is invariably a person of imitation rather than of real position. Somebody just got skewered. Right. Smack, <laughs> smack, smack, smack. I mean, she, is, she is laying it on the line. And here is the part that that you were so inspired to send this to me for, which is where Emily defines etiquette. Etiquette, if it is to be of more than trifling usage, must go far beyond the mere mechanical rules for procedure or the equally automatic precepts of conventional behavior. Actually, etiquette is most deeply concerned with every phase of ethical impulse or judgment and with every choice or expression of taste. 
A knowledge of etiquette is, of course, essential to one's decent behavior, just as clothing is essential to one's decent appearance. And precisely as one wears the latter without being self-conscious of having on shoes and perhaps gloves, one who has good manners is equally unself-conscious in the observance of etiquette, the precepts of which must be so thoroughly absorbed as to make their observance a matter of instinct rather than of conscious obedience. Don't you love that idea? I do. That, that, that manners, this whole thing that we spend so much talking about and time talking about and giving people lists and lists and lists of things you do, right, in fact is a matter of instinct rather than of some kind of memory, okay? I love it. And it's, it's you know, she's, she's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Emily concludes... Thus, best society is not a fellowship of the wealthy, nor does it seek to exclude those who have not always had the advantages of birth. But it is an association of gentlefolk, of which good form in speech, charm of manner, knowledge of the social amenities, and instinctive consideration for the feelings of others are the credentials by which society the world over recognizes its chosen members. Done. Go M. <laughs> Just done. You know, we could we could try to paraphrase all of that for you, bring it up, and yet the way she said it is absolutely perfect. I absolutely love how she's put this. I was so excited to find this. I have had so many moments where I get frustrated when I see in interview after interview how etiquette is often uh, pigeonholed and pitched as something for only the rich and only the elite and that it is meant to exclude. And there is certainly an entire group of people that will use it that way, that will try to uh, make it be about unknown rules and secret meaning behind everything that's being said. And what I love is that here you've got Emily Post, who has been America's go-to source for etiquette advice for the past century, saying way back in 1934, no, 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 that couldn't be further from the truth. And if that's what you think it is, then you're not part of best society. Correct. It's, it's, it's about how we treat each other. It's the kind of people we are as we put ourselves out in front of others and we do it in a way that is respectful to ourselves and to the other people. That's what it's all about because this is – what we're talking about here is about relationship building and, and etiquette at its basic is about building great relationships. The tools we use to do that certainly include manners. They help us to understand how to interact with people. But it's beyond that. It's, as she called it, it's the, it's, it's the manner of the person that's so important. And I think that's a more important part of etiquette than even the manners are. And when we learn that no matter what choices we make, if we ground them in how we are respectful, considerate, how we are honest with people, that our relationships are going to be strong and powerful and people will admit us into that best society. Not even admit us. We're just going to be a part of it right exactly. then and there. Right exactly. then and there. So wonderful, uh, wonderful piece. One of the most exciting things I ever got in from anybody about describing what Emily thought about etiquette. <laughs> and it's, what I love is it's in her own words. Emily Post, you truly are timeless. 
There's a lot to think and talk about on the subject of manners, and many good reasons to ask, are manners important? We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world as members of Best Society, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a Toronto traveler. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Recently, my fiancé and I visited Canada for the first time. While I don't often like to play into stereotypes, I can tell you that what many say about Canadians is true. They are super polite. Not only polite, but considerate, respectful, and darn friendly. So this etiquette salute is not just for one person, but for all of the friendly people we encountered in the greater Toronto area over a recent long weekend. Almost every person we encountered was friendly, from the man taking orders at the poutine food truck, who happily helped us poutine first-timers make our selection, to the streetcar driver who helped us figure out the payment screen and then offered us a free ride when we didn't have enough loonies and toonies for our trip. (laughs) We received cheerfully detailed and useful directions from a woman at the Union Station's help desk and a fellow train passenger even alerted us when it was time to get off. For a first-time traveler to a new city and new country, I could not have asked for a better experience with the locals. I truly appreciate being treated with such consideration respect, and honesty during our trip. Signed, Toronto Traveler. Isn't that great? That's what you want to hear. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's you know, it, people treating people nicely. And in the process, relationships grow and build. People enjoy each other's company better. And everybody has a better time as a result of it. And tourism can be up, up, up. <laughs> it was great. It's a great letter. And I'm, I'm really glad Toronto Traveler had such a great weekend and that the people in Toronto, helped Toronto Traveler have that great weekend. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, and coworkers, and on social media. You can send us your questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, Dan is Daniel underscore post, and I am Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette, as well as the Emily Post Institute. On Instagram, we are Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and please consider leaving us a review. It does so help our show's rankings. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and produced by Bridget Dowd. Thank you, Chris and Bridget. 